Hello, I'm Clara Anfo and welcome back to This City, the podcast where we talk to famed inhabitants of wonderful London. Each episode will delve into the past favourite places, the current favourite places, the dance spots, the food spots, the night bus stories, stories of school where we fell in love from some of our favourite famous faces, whether they were born here or adopted our capital. Darling listener, we are back for another episode of This City and oh, I have one of this city's most favourite children. They are somebody who, listen, yeah, when I first saw them on TV, I was instantly a fan. They may not have won the show that put them on the map, but to me, they are an eternal winner. Um, they are the exquisite gender bender. And they always keep you guessing. They always serve you looks. They serve you empathy. They serve you, like, actually, like the definition of realness, I would say, Bimini Bomboolash. Welcome. Hello, darling. What a lovely intro. That was so nice. Listen, uh, facts, facts only, Bimini. You know I've been a fan. Um, I'm really excited to have you um, in conversation because there's lots to discover because I think you are definitely the epitome of somebody that came to this city with big old dreams and you've made them happen and beyond. So I want to get into all of it. Yes, let's do it. Now, usually... I start my episodes, um, or a bit comes up where I talk about the first time we met in London, the first time we were aware of each other. And I actually mm-hmm. think the first time we met, I think might have, was it when we worked together at BAFTA? I think we'd been online friends. Yeah, I think we'd spoken before and I'm sure we would have been in like the same spaces, um, yeah. same places before. But I think that was the first proper time when we were like, yeah. And then, um, yeah, amazing. Like, that was such a fun gig, like fun job to like be working on a BAFTA's carpet was like insane, right? At the Royal Albert Hall, no less. Yeah, I think that was yeah. the most intense amount of time we've, we've um, we spent together. Yeah. But look- and I remember like Lady Gaga when, when we were like waiting for Lady Gaga, waiting for Lady Gaga and then they walked past and we were just like, <gasps> like stars- she just like glided past, didn't she? But she, look- <laughs> she gave you that look of like, I see you. Yes. Yeah. She's like, you, you stole my hair. <laughs> That's, but, what she, that's what the look was. It, it, it probably was that, to be fair. But still, <laughs> yeah. you, were, you were acknowledged by Mama Monster. Now, um, that. but that's the thing. Look, you started your life, you know, in Great Yarmouth and you're out here now rocking red carpets, you know, being incredible in your stage shows. You know, you're out here doing your thing. So I want to know where it all began and why London became, you know, your playground. And dare I say, is it is it right to say your second birthplace? Yeah, I would say like I, 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 London was always, always home. I think from like such a young age, I would always say to my mum, I'm going to London because my dad was my dad and my grandparents, like that side of my family, even though my parents were divorced um, I grew up like seeing both, both of them. So I grew up like with the knowledge of like London and where my dad had come from and like my nan and my my granddad on my my from my dad who um my granddad I never met he he passed away before I was born but he he was like a director of um in in the west end so he used to like work in theaters and that's how we met my nan who was a tiller girl so she was a dancer in the west end and so she used to they had this like glamorous I'm sure it's quite sordid lifestyle in like the 50s 60s um like London yeah and like she she did she did a lot of things that were like uh, Penthouse, which was like a lot of like, um, Penthouse is very similar to Playboy. I think she did like a bit of Playboy as well. So 
they they were in those circles in London, which I think is so fab. And my nan passed away recently, um, and she she actually moved back to Norfolk. So I don't know, I don't really know the full story and ins and outs of why everyone ended up in Norfolk because my mum's Scottish as well. So no one is actually originally from there. So that's why I've got the like I, I grew up with this weird mix of accents and when I went to school I remember everyone would be like you sound like a weirdo because I didn't sound like I was from there so it was it was all odd but my nan I wish I'd got into her head because I think she had a lot of stories to tell and I think she was very misunderstood um and I'd love to know the stories that went on about like being a woman in that era because I think she got to a certain age and I'm not gonna lie I think it was like 29 30 when she was told it's over, your career's done, you're too old, you can't do this anymore. And I think it really messed with her. I think it really, like, it really struck her because she was, like, kind of a star in the day and, like, it, it, all, it all turned, it all went because of, because of ageism and, and sexism and misogyny. And I really wish I'd got into her head about that world and that industry at the time because it, it seems like it was so chaotic and interesting to see it from a perspective, her perspective. I always had ideas, but it never, it never really happened. But yeah, London was always like, London was always like gonna be home. I remember saying to my mum when I was growing up, like, I don't feel like I belong here. I wanna be in London. Like I'd always just watch things about London. I was always watching like fashion TVs and everything. And just always knew that I was gonna come back here. Do you know what, Bimini, there is so much to get into um, because that is so, first of all, they're so fascinating about your grandparents because it just goes to show this level of like performance and expression is, is literally in your blood, isn't it? Uh, well, I think, yeah, I think we, uh, particularly on my dad's side, I think there's a lot of show-offs in the family, yeah. <laughs> a lot of attention seekers. <laughs> but listen, you do it professionally, so it's all valid. It is all valid. Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, professional show-off. <laughs> And do you remember the very first time um, you visited London, like, as a kid? Because you said you were watching all this stuff. And, like, so, yeah, do you remember the first time were you, like, taking on trips as a little kid or...? Yeah, and I remember... It's weird, because, like, obviously... Since I've lived in London, I lived in London since I was 18. I'm, like, 29 now. And I've barely done any touristy stuff, like, living here. I'm just, like, like never go and do any of that. But when I was a kid, I did. Like, we'd, my parents would take me to London. And weirdly, like, one of the, the most distinct memories I have, and it really kind of, like, settles... It really, like, follows through of why I'm... Why I think I'm, I'm, I do what I do now. I remember walking through Soho and just seeing these, like... They were drag queens, like, stood outside the bars and just being, like, enamoured and in awe of them, but also scared and intimidated, which I think that's that's what you should be with a drag queen, to be honest. Like, a lot of drag queens, like, especially those old school ones, like, you should not know what they're going to say. But I remember, like, and it's, it's very problematic, very problematic thing to say, but I remember, like, my parents, my one of the parents, my parents would be like, how can you tell that they're a drag queen? Like, look, look for the Adam's apple. And I remember like just looking around being like, what is like, what is this? I was so like enamored by it and, and confused, but exhilarated. And I remember like, that was my first kind of, um, first feeding into like kind of a gender bender or gender bending and like seeing that from that point of view, like these glamorous people with Adam's apples. I thought it was so cool. <laughs> well, it's so cool. I mean, you know, it's it's so fascinating what we absorb as children and the thing that kind of piques your interest and the thing that makes you think, hang on, okay, I belong here. I'm in I'm intrigued by this. Look, weirdly I think it was like there was there was a level of excitement 
something that I was like, I feel drawn to this, but also a feeling of shame because I felt like it was wrong because I was so young as well. And like, it was like, even though I wasn't told by my parents, like my parents didn't say this is weird, this is wrong, whatever. I just felt like, oh, that's so different to what I've experienced or what I've seen. But there's there's this theorist and and they, they speak about um, the art of failure, which as a queer person, that kind of happens. As you grow up, you realise that you're not the same as everyone else around you. Um, so that's why a lot of queer people do express themselves in different ways or, or do, do certain things because you've already kind of failed at what society wants from you. You've already failed at like this, this idea of what the idealistic perfect lifestyle is or life is. So you kind of do take risks. And it's not a bad thing. When I say the art of failure, there's an art to it. Like it's, it's, there's, there's some beauty in there and there's, there's vulnerability and there's passion. I think that's something that I really harnessed the power of as I got a bit older and understood that. And instead of feeling that shame, took that power back and put the, kind of put the lens back up at like society and, and what, what is going on around us. Because I think there's shame everywhere. And I think oh, like, it's wrong to be, it's wrong to make someone feel shame for doing something. And I always say like the best way to do it is do what the hell you want to do as long as you ain't harming anyone and you're kind and you're you know that your spirit is pure or innocent we all we all mess up we all make mistakes but as long as you know inherently that you're doing good doesn't matter what you do doesn't matter what you wear doesn't matter how you dress doesn't matter how you want to identify just stay true to that and and keep it real that is a word and the church said yeah. amen Okay, Vivian. Woo! <laughs> um, so talk to me about when you first moved to London. So you moved to London at age 18, totally on your own. Where did you first live and what was your first, yeah, what was your first home like? I'm assuming it wasn't glamorous. <laughs> it was not glamorous. So I'd say, so the first, the first, obviously I moved, so I moved to uni. So I moved to London, went to university. Um, so I was in student halls for a bit. That was like all the way in North Acton, which was like well far away. I was studying at London College of Fashion. And I remember like, we were, as soon as we got here, we were always going out in East. And it was a nightmare to get there. So as soon as like that was over, we moved to a house in Stratford. It was a house in Stratford. And it became like a party house. Cause at that time was quite like hedonistic London vibes. And I was like young and I was experimenting and experiencing like people and just, just seeing life from a different way. But we had this like four floor house in Stratford. Dirt cheap, mice infested, moved in there with bed bugs. It was, it was <laughs> like the typical like, yeah. Oh, they, they give me nightmares. They're like, they, I don't know why there's not a horror film about bed bugs. Cause that is like, that is the scariest stuff. But like, that was like your typical like student moving to London, can't afford anything. It's like literally eating like, the cheapest noodles and you're just seeing mice everywhere. So that was nice. But we had a, we had a good time because you're young. Like those things, obviously the bed bugs, we sorted that out straight up because that was just no. But like the things like that, like you kind of love it. Like I loved that experience of like being a student and, and being around so many different people that I'd never met. Like growing, growing up in Norfolk, you don't experience a lot. Like the culture is isn't really there. It's kind of really sad because there's lack of funding happening in these smaller seaside towns and the communities and it feels very like a time capsule of the 80s so coming to London and, and seeing the vibrancy of it all was just it was just yeah it was just incredible and I was like I always think I couldn't live anywhere other than London 
I've been to New York. I love New York. I think if, yeah, if London was like LA, California weather, could you imagine? Like it would just be game over. Oh God. <laughs> it, it, it'd be even busier than it is now. Exactly. How many people are living in this house? Like, who, who was in the gang? So there were six of us. Um, and we were all like students at uh, London College of Fashion. I actually moved from London College of Fashion to the London College of Communication to study journalism. So I did a year of fashion journalism, then went on to finish my uh, bachelor's in just kind of pure straight journalism um, with a focus on like kind of social affairs, uh, social issues, current affairs, politics. I was very angry. I was a Facebook ranter at the time. Like, <laughs> the you're one of them. I was, well, well, kicking off all the time about stuff that's going on, um, just to anyone that would listen, really. And yeah, I think, like, <laughs> looking back, when you look at those Facebook rants, I was like, oh, cringe. But my heart was, my intentions were good. <laughs> there was, yeah, there was a good group of six of us. And then after that, I moved to Brick Lane. Um, which also became a party house. Like, we would party there a lot, and it was really fun because it was, like, central London, and I was paying stupid money to live in a basement with no windows and no ventilation, and it was, like, a basement underneath a coffee shop, and it was actually on Hanbury Street, so it's where they would do the Jack the Ripper tours. So there was constantly, like, two tours a day outside the flat. Like, it was just, like, London. I was like, oh, I'm here. This is my home. I love it. That's, uh, <laughs> I've just got this vision of you now trying to get some sleep and then someone saying like, and this is where he murdered this person. Yeah, yeah. we'd like always like come out and like have a little listen because it's also, it's so crazy. It's so like, that's, it's mad that it's like so busy all the time. There's always people on that tour. I'm like, wow, there must be some like voucher thing going on. <laughs> but that's the funny thing, is it? Because I think when you live in a city like London, it's almost easy to forget that people have got so many undiscovered bits of it. And I think you yourself can be a tourist as well. There's so much stuff like, you know, you said you've lived here for 11 years. I bet you still haven't even scratched the surface of some some bits. Absolutely not. And I think there's like, there's history everywhere in London. And there's so much, there's so much every corner of the city, like everywhere you look. Brick Lane, like living on there, like as a fact, like a student that was like, loved fashion and, and, and getting into like vintage clothes. Like that was just like, the most incredible thing. I'm, Cause I remember like coming to London uh, with my friends when we were like 15, 16, because we started dressing like weirdos. <laughs> People thought weirdos. I was like, no, we like go, when I realized that I could spend 10 pounds in a charity shop and get a killer outfit and look like no one else and also smell like a moth eaten <laughs> damp thing. I thought it was the most amazing thing. And we used to dress up in like ripped fishnets and I'd say like, we'd get like secondhand fur coats and I'd like smoke cigarettes and drink Diet Coke. And was we would like, we were like, we're, we're Kate Moss and like Paris and like obsessed with all, obviously that culture. Cause it was like 2005, 2006 growing up in like Norfolk. And I think like we knew, me and my friends then like knew that we, didn't want to be like everyone else around there. And like people would shout stuff out the cars. And at that time, like that's when I started realizing, again, take about the power of the shame. Like I'm gonna, I want to be like inspired by people that were like making a change or making a statement. Like people were always like, people like Bowie and Madonna, Prince, um, Grace Jones, people that were like gender bending and, and playing with gender and the roles and like Madonna being like this boss female in a male dominated industry and and being and an ageist industry as well like people like that is just hugely inspiring so that's when yeah we would go to London and be like this is where we belong 
Let me ask you this. Um, what kind of student were you? Because with all this fun you were having and all yeah. this, like, you know, you're raving, you're digging in like the vintage shops, you're living in your yeah. basement. Um, were you were you very studious? Were you were you good? Did you manage to get away with uh Oh yeah, I finished I finished my bachelor's. I got a two one in journalism and Come I went on. on to do I went on to do a master's at Goldsmiths. I did them um, in human rights, culture, social justice, which is a lovely uh, made up course. <laughs> But it was, I learned a lot and it's, I feel like it's interesting because I didn't really get into what I do now way after I studied. So I was a, a bit older, so I started getting into performing. Um, 2017 was when I like first put on a wig and heels. Wasn't getting paid anything for like a good old year. We were just like booked to have fun, which at that time was like what I was doing. I was like finishing my master's, but Start taking it seriously, end of 2018, early 2019, one Missing the Pink. And that's when it all kind of, that's when I was like, when I won Missing the Pink, that was the game changer for my life. Like Drag Race has obviously like done everything, like changed the game for me. But Missing the Pink was the moment when I realised, okay, maybe I could do this. Like when I started believing that I could do it, believing in myself, because I remember being first when I first got to London, Sink the Pink was popping off. It was like 2012-13. And they, I remember just being in awe. And I, it took a minute. Like, it took a minute for me to really connect with that side because I felt like I was, like, unlearning. Even though I was, like, dressed different, I was like, these people are, are, are on stage and they've got no... They've got no cares. They're so free. And they... Sink the Pink are, like, the biggest inspirations for me for where I am and what I do now. So, yeah, dear listener, for those of you that don't know, uh, Sink the Pink is an incredible queer, like, club night. Um, that, and it's, it's from the minds of a wonderful man called Glyn, who yeah. uh, runs an amazing festival called Vicey Hoopla, which you've probably seen advertised everywhere. And it has been, I guess, the launch base for, like, some of the UK's, like, like most, like, revered, favourite, like, contemporary drag acts, would you say? For sure. Like, yeah. it's especially, like... I, I, and especially more of an alternative side of it because they weren't doing, that's what I loved about it. It was ruckus. It was free. It was hedonism. It was wild. It was gender bending. It was literally like no one was padding. No one was tucking. No one was wearing, like making like silhouette on shapes or they were, but it was like, it was like more of you're in on the joke and it's like, it's it's taking it's it's kind of putting the finger up of the lens and taking the piss out of society's expectations of what it is to be feminine and what it is to be masculine and that's what I loved about it. I think it was just so, it was just yeah, it was something that had never really I've never really experienced. So yeah, Glyn and Amy and they their minds that created that from like the idea of just having a house party in their flat to what Sick the Pink became and the legacy that it holds. It will forever be one of the most game-changing club not it's more than a club night it's a cult it's a culture so it's, it's a subculture it's literally it'll go down in history as one of the most groundbreaking movements in london absolutely um so sing the pink wasn't the first place you performed was or was that so tell me about the very first drag show you put on in the city oh okay it was at the glory so the glory do a uh, do a, a competition called lip sync 1000 um, and that was when I first performed on stage. So I did, it was a, it was a political act. I came out as like, um, I was Hillary Clinton and I did like, there was, it was that time there was that soundbite going around. It was like chauvinist, 
sexist and misogynist. <laughs> and then, then, so I did that into um, Donald Trump then came out and did this whole like thing. Like my friend was Donald Trump. They were like in this like blazer with a Donald Trump mask on. But then she had her like boobs exposed um, and it had like Make America Gay Again written on them. And then I gave them a lap dance to a song called Down in Mexico, uh, which is by The Coasters, which was from the movie uh, Death Proof. And um, that's, that got me into the final and I got into the final from that and that's when I started performing. But it wasn't, it took a minute, it took a, it took a while for me to really get into it because I was studying, I was also teaching because I was doing yoga at the time. And um, yeah, it was, it took, it took a while because I was, I, I was a bit shy, like people probably wouldn't expect it, but I was a bit reserved, a bit shy because I was like, already in awe of everyone around me that were doing it and thinking, how can I take up space? And I think that, that if there's anyone that's like wanting to be, get into that, everyone can, everyone can kind of do it. Like every, anyone can do it. It's about finding what it is that makes you unique and mm. try not to compare yourself to others because it's so hard, especially in that industry. Like, is this truly where Bimini was born? Have you always performed under Bimini or has Bimini been an evolution? Yeah, Bimini, so Bimini, Bimini Bomboulash was like the, the first name that we came up with. And it sounds like you just put your name in a blender or a generator and you come up with this crazy name. But there's a, there's a thing behind it. Bimini was what my mum was going to call me if I was born the different sex. Um, and which is, I, lo- I think that's cool. I was like, yeah, I mean, I don't know what happened to my sister because <laughs> she didn't get called Bimini, but um, I'm kind of glad. <laughs> and then Body Boulash, my mum had this like, gorgeous cat called Bonnie Boulash um, and that's where I got the Bon Boulash from and it was just like this Bimini Bon Boulash just sounds like this crazy thing and I, I used that for a while and people didn't get it like there was people didn't get it on the scene so I dropped it from Bimini Bon Boulash to Bimini and then on Drag Race it just had this resurgence where Rue just like t- <laughs> took it to the reins and went with it and then people people fell in love with the name and I love the name I think it's like it's just chaos but I feel like what I say, like Bimini Bamboulash is the drag artist. I feel like Bimini is kind of the ex- extension of Tommy, who is like me day to day or like, because how I've evolved and changed over the years with my drag, I like the idea of like, what is drag anymore? Like, what does it mean to do that? Like, is everyone doing it or, or because there are no rules now, like which there shouldn't have ever been, but that's what some that's what was so groundbreaking about Sing the Pink and being part of the East London scene was there were was no rules. No one would ever judge you for having like having no padding on or anything. Like it was always about expression of gender and I've I've I played into a certain idea of what I thought I had to look like. And then as I started evolving and finding who I was, I realised it's just an extension of me, like it's just me with a wig and a smoky eye and a big heel on most of the time. Like, <laughs> it's like, it's not like, it's just, yeah, it's just, it's just what I, I feel like inside. So I feel like Bimini is like more of me and Bimini Bamboulash is like the drag artist. So when you're going around your business, like day to day, I always ask people this because I'm so intrigued. Look, your life changed um, when, when you did like Drag Race. When you go yeah, back sure. now into East London, like, how do you navigate how people treat you? Like, can you go unclocked? Are you still taking public transport? Like, what's what's the energy now? And yeah. are, you, are you experiencing London differently since? Um, yeah, I think like I live where I live now. So I live by Tower Bridge. So I live like um, southeast now, south just over the bridge. Um, and when I go back to East London, I don't, I have, I don't go out that much anymore. You know, like I don't. 
I had my club night that I started called Trash, um, and that's at Electroworks. That's in Angel. But yeah, I don't go out too much. Like I'm, I'm a lot more of like either working or have people over, have like a house party or whatever. Like I'm, I'm trying to this year. I, I'm definitely like I feel like there's a big energy shift anyway for everyone, and I feel really like focused. And I feel like 2022 has its highs and lows. It had some real. Great moments, it has some real low moments. And I feel like this year I'm ready to just kind of go go back into it and, and throw myself back into it. But I think, yeah, life definitely has changed. But I still go, I still go about, I still get on the tube. Like, I, I'm like, yeah, I still do. And I, but like, I, also... People, people do come up, but I'm always, I'm always gonna have a chat. Like I'm always like, yeah, like, like how are you? And it's like, it's always lovely if people want to have a, have a chat with you, because like, like why would you ever be an asshole to them? Like that's, I don't get that. I don't get people that wouldn't be. I understand like if you're having a moment and maybe some people, there's some people that I know um, from the show that I was on that can be like, no, leave me alone. But I would, ne I could never do that. That's just not who I am. Like I'm not, I can't do that. So and also I'm like. I'm asking for it, really. I'm walking around in a massive fluffy coat and, and <laughs> big sunglasses and boots, and I'm not exactly being inconspicuous. Don't look at me. Don't, don't look at me. Don't yeah, look at me. Don't, don't look, look at me. me. <laughs> um, like yeah. someone, like I was in Brighton at the weekend, and um, I was like facing some, facing the other way, and someone came up and was like, "Bimini," and like they were like, "I knew it was you from the back of you," and I was like, "Well, I'm not making it. I'm not making it like, huh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not trying to blend in there, am I?" <laughs> well, look, you, look, you, you, I think. Uh, it would be weird to kind of not see somebody like you out and about on public transport, to be honest. Do you know what I mean? But actually, <laughs> yeah. but actually I'm really intrigued about this. Like, do you feel um, the most safe you've ever felt or is it any different um, going out and expressing yourself as you do like on public transport, doing what you do? Because, you know, as we know, there's still so many horrendous homophobic attacks, like just any mm -hmm. attacks towards like anyone different, anyone, particularly queer people like, on public transport. Do you feel there's been a shift in like how you're treated or like how you see others being treated? Because listen, you have the privilege of celebrity that in some yeah. ways might protect you. And have you noticed a shift or? I, I've, so I've thought about this because there've been moments where I've walked down the road and um, someone has, kind of made a remark and I do kind of think like hmm I wonder if it was to go further like what would actually happen like would I go on my Instagram and be like I've just been this or whatever I think it's sad that we London is 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 amazing because there is so much um diversity here but there are like you said that there is still that that fear of it and I've experienced it like I've been attacked a couple of times in London like over the years like not recently but like back in the day I had and I remember, like, it never stopped me. I think maybe it had some sort of effect, but if anything, it made me, not angrier, but, like, more like I want to, st I'm still going to be st true to me. And I think that should be the same for, like, anyone. We should never feel afraid, even though it can be, it can be scary. And like you said, I do feel like I've got a sort of protection, but, I mean, I don't know what would happen. Hopefully nothing's going to happen, touch wood. <laughs> but, like, yeah, I do, I do think people, people still have to be, conscious and I notice it like well I don't as much I've always had people look at me weird <laughs> like from it from like my teens even younger probably but like a lot of people that I'm friends with like pick up on it way more than I do and I'm like oh I don't care they're like people are staring I'm like I don't it doesn't matter like I, I, like let them <laughs> mm, <no. laughs> my outfit's cute <laughs> 
I mean, and, and now you've got your amazing club night to express that with people that you feel safe around. Um, what's the experience like kind of seeing, I guess, like new gen Biminis find that, that sense of community in a space that you've created? Because, like, you know, you, also, you mentioned, like, you know, going to Soho as a little kid, seeing drag queens, seeing people express themselves differently and thinking, I'm intrigued, but I'm a bit scared. But now you've created a space for that. For new gen. I think, yeah, and it, so what was so important for me for Trash is when I first moved to London, um, I felt like you could go out every night of the week and there was always somewhere you could go, um, somewhere you could feel safe, somewhere you could express yourself. I was always surrounded by um, people of all genders, people across the entire gender spectrum, um, whether they were, they were uh, a female, whether they were male, whether they were uh, queer, whether they are trans, non-binary, whoever, and it was always... Those kind of people were always inspired and and kind of allowed me to feel safe and express myself. So that's what I wanted to happen with Trash because I feel like there's been a huge, huge cultural shift in in the club scene in London. It's it's it died a bit. Like there wasn't so much going on. I think 2015, um, everywhere became like block flats that no one can afford. The, the places got shut down. We lost over 50% of LGBTQ plus venues in 10 years. And people don't understand the impact that that has, but that makes a massive impact because there's lack of places to go. And it also comes down to a lot of people get caught up in uh, drugs and alcoholism, which I definitely have over the years. And it's something that can be like, it's a, it can be something that can be a struggle for a lot of people. Like I know I have. And because there are no spaces to go to be sober, really, that you feel like you can express yourself. So a lot of people go to these spaces and they, that's the only place they can go. So we need more of them. And there's, there, was, there was a huge shift I saw. A lot of people moved to Berlin. London became too priced out. Everyone's moving out of the city. Loads of people left, went to Berlin. Berlin started popping off, became like a lot more of like the cool club place. And London kind of lost its, lost its edge, lost its cool for that. And I think... I wanted trash to be inclusive for everyone, and I love the fact that when we look at like the, the when we look at the breakdown of like who who's buying tickets, you can have like your your gender identity and and everything, and it's something like fifty percent um, identify as male, then it was something like twenty uh, percent identify as non-binary, thirty percent identified as female, and I was like, for a queer space, I want more. I want it to be completely split between everyone. Like it's for everyone. It's for women that want to come and express themselves to be queer. It's for trans people. It's for people that want to play with their gender. It's for the muscle gays that want to dance around. Like it's for everyone. It's not meant to be some exclusionary, which a lot of places can be. I know there's been like. There was like club nights that have been shut now that wouldn't let uh, feminine guys in and things. And that's totally not what Trash is about. Like Trash is the opposite of that. It's for everyone. So I'm very, I'm very proud of the space that we've managed to create. No, you should, you should be. And that's the thing. You're going to be set. You're going to be starting all these like new stories, for, you know, for all these like kids who are like, going to be coming through, whether they were born here or whether they've just moved here yeah. thinking, okay, right. This is somewhere that I can uh, I can exist freely. I hope so because there's there is definitely and and COVID's had a huge impact on that as well. I mean COVID that's a huge impact. I was gonna say like I just you know. I mean, up, up and down the country, but particularly in London, where, you know, some of the most famous, like, nightclubs and spaces, just where you could just go and, like, you know, find yourself and, like, find your people. Like, the way that was, like, snatched away. Yeah. I, don't, I, don't think we, I don't think we truly calculate the impact 
on on people um, when it, when it comes to that. It massively, I'm I'm like when I think about it, like I'm I I have to like center myself a bit because I was like getting annoyed the other day about about COVID because I was trying to book a driving test and it's all backed up because of COVID. And I was like, I can't get a driving test. But then I was like, but there were so many people that couldn't express themselves or find themselves or find their people and find their tribe and everything that went through because of COVID. And it really kind of makes you think like there's worse, there's like so much worse that went on with it. Like me not being able to get a driving test is just like, is nothing. Like there's a fact that if I'd have moved to London and not being able to express myself and go to a bar and find people, I don't know how it would have affected me. And I understand why there's a mental health increase um, of, of, of younger people and queer people and not being able to find themselves. Thankfully, we've got online, which has its its pros and cons, its flaws and whatever. But I think, yeah, the impact of COVID is mad and we're still feeling it now. Like, that's, it's, that's what made me think about it. It's like when I was trying to book the driving test, it's like backed up to like seven months away because of 500,000 people couldn't get driving tests because of COVID. I'm like, how is that impacting us still? It's 2023, but that's, it's going to be going on for years. And I think the repercussions of, of it on the mental health, not even just on the economics and, and society, but like on people's mental health and social social skills, like you you... Especially kids. Imagine like being at school and being told that you can't go over to your friend and like play with your friend and like like that will have such a, a detrimental impact on on people's social being. I think absolutely, absolutely. I was just thinking though, as you were talking about your driving test, baby. There's always the tube. That's yes. quite fair for you and <laughs> your for, for you and your weird outfits. Um, now, <laughs> Bimini, you are a proud vegan. Yes. Um, for anyone listening who's going to be visiting or who lives around here, um, where are your top vegan spots in the city? So I always say Purezza. Um, Purezza is is the best vegan pizza in London. They've got them not just in London now. They've got like a few different places around the UK. But they make... It won, like, pizza of the year against all the meat and dairy pizzas. Like, it literally makes their own cheese. All the meats is so banging. It's, like, the most amazing pizza. Um, and, like, the fact that there's so many vegan places that are popping up, or vegan options now, there's, yeah, there's a lot more vegan options to go everywhere, which I think is incredible. And I think, like, my partner has just done Veganuary with me. Um, I was obviously already. They were vegetarian. For me, it's, like, not the biggest... I'm, like... I'm never going to tell someone they can't eat something because I'm like, at the end of the day, like they, they know what I'm eating. A lot of the time, and I feel like a lot of the time it goes to the default. If you're, if you're coming out with me, we're going vegan. And that's, that's, just how it, that's just how it went, which I feel bad about sometimes. But then I'm like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, I think like f- there's, there's so many places in London. London's always been very, very good for that. If you want a bit of fried, like a vegan fried chicken, there's a Temple of Satan, which is banging as well. Because those are the things like... When I first went vegan, you had to be healthy. Now you don't. (laughs) (laughs) Now you can eat junk food. It's great. (laughs) True, 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 true. All noted. Now, I always ask people, if you were in charge of the city for a day or a month, what would you do? Basically, if you were Sadiq, who I know is a fan of yours, because did did Sadiq himself, like, not quote, like, tweet his, like, disappointment when when you didn't win? Drag Race. Yeah, he tweeted saying, we'll always be, yeah, we'll always, you'll always be our winner. And we went for lunch. We went for lunch. Me and Sadiq went for lunch. Where did you, where did you go? Um, we went to Mildred's, which again is a great vegan place. So that's another great vegan place, Mildred's. And they've got them everywhere, like Soho, King's Cross, everything. But yeah, we went to Mildred's in Soho. There's a photo of us somewhere. It's quite funny. There were so many like memes about it afterwards. It's like, when your daddy takes you for lunch. 
Do, be, do, where, where, do people? Uh, yeah, that is some kind of thing. Where people are uh, interrupting you constantly when you're reading, or you were you left quite too. It was a lot of cameras. It was a lot of like there was a lot of cameras on. Like it was all it was all like kind of um, done for that reason. But like it was it was it was lovely chatting to him. We spoke about the nightlife and we spoke about um, the lack of the lack of spaces and 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 the funding and stuff. Like I think if 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 I was to be in charge with London in London for for how long? <laughs> do a day, a month, however long you need to get what you needed to do done. I think there's, well, we need a really big overhaul. If we're going to really go there, I could go down the route, but we need to sort out the homelessness issue that is happening. It's, it's a crisis right now that's happening. There needs to be more funding in the public services. We need to be funding the NHS if we want it to survive. We need to be doing all of that. That's something that I would obviously want to be fighting for as someone that's in parliament <laughs> whether that's the mayor of london or not um but yeah i think there's there's so much that needs to be done it's a, and queer spaces would make them sanctuaries or or um like what cultural spots that can't be touched by property developers because we need the more we need more spaces and we need less luxury flats we need less like Spaces like I live in a converted warehouse. Like we need to be using what's already there and and converting that and turning it into a space, as opposed to putting up these high rise flats that no one can afford. So right, stop well, to that. <laughs> Mayor Bimini has spoken. <laughs> Bimini, it's yeah. been a delight to chat to you. It's been a pleasure as always to speak to you. I love your stories. Not listen, dear listener. If you haven't already, get into Bimini's book. Yes. Uh, Release yeah, the beast. Book. Release the beast. It became a Sunday Times bestseller. They didn't want it to be, but it got there. <laughs> and see, and that is sticking it to the man. Come on. Yeah, exactly. We love it. Thank, thank you so much. Thank you, baby. I'll see you soon. Thank you so much for listening to The City. And if you liked it, don't forget, you can tell your mates or one better. If you visited any of the spots we talked about and have a story, let me know on socials. Remember, you can like, rate and subscribe in all the usual podcast places. See you next time. Listener.